Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. Regarding the Kavanaugh supplemental background investigation, and I'd like to try to get that matter wrapped up. First, is it true that after Kavanaugh-related tips were separated from regular tip line traffic, they were forwarded to White House counsel without investigation? Uh, I, I apologize that uh, in advance that uh, it's been frustrating for you. Uh, we've tried to be clear about okay, uh, our answer. process. I'll so be less frustrated I, when it comes to answer the question. So when why is the Biden administration building a border wall in Arizona? So um, we are not uh, we are not finishing the wall. Uh, we are cleaning up the mess the prior administration uh, left behind. I was a, it was a mess, but I, I was I was made aware by you guys that border wall itself was a bad idea and evil. And of course, she's going to have to. I mean, th there's no way to square that circle because again, the border crisis continues to just grow and grow. The, the number of illegal immigrants who are crossing the border every day is higher than it has ever been, and that has effects not only in terms of illegal immigration and illegal immigrants being shipped to the center of the country and and hundreds of thousands of so-called gotaways. Okay, put all those people aside. The drug crisis that has existed in the United States via the shipping of fentanyl over the border is extraordinary. When you look at the statistics on fentanyl seizures at the Southwest US border, you can see that they absolutely start to just skyrocket at the very end of 2020. And then they just continue all the way till now. It is a massive, massive differentiator between most of the Trump administration and the very tail end of the Trump administration and the entirety of the Biden administration. In April of 2022, for example, over 1,200 pounds of fentanyl were seized at the southwest United States border. I mean, these are huge, huge numbers. For, as for 2021, there were 10,586 pounds of fentanyl seized in the southwest border region in fiscal year 2021. That was about 132% more than the, 400, than the 4,558 pounds seized by Border Patrol in fiscal year 2020. So year on year under Joe Biden, fentanyl seizures jumped 132 percent. Jeremy Slinker. He is the head of emergency management in Kentucky. And I, I got to say, he and his team have been. It's not like it's beyond our control. The weather may be beyond our control for now, but it's not beyond our control. And I promise you, we're staying, the federal government, along with the state and county and the city, we're staying until everybody's back to where they were.
Now our great speaker, our partner, who all of these bills we've met. So when we talk about equality, well, that's a good goal. But let us not presume that because everyone should be treated equal, that they start out on equal footing. So equity, as a concept says, recognize that everyone has the same capacity, but in order for them to have equal opportunity to reach that capacity, what we must pay attention to this issue of equity if we are to expect and allow people to compete on equal footing. And with that, I'll end with the story. So last month, uh, President Biden and I unveiled the first photographs taken um, by the James Webb Space Telescope. I think we were all just in awe. I was sharing with some of the friends that when I first saw those photographs, I, I had a very, um, a very intellectual um, response, um, which was, wow. <laughs> you get out and you create a crowd. Get up in the face of some Congress people. We kick. The domestic enemies are right at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue with their allies in the Congress. I think Democrats are ignoring this problem. The NYPD is reporting 28 shootings from just over the weekend. That's a 600% increase. We're seeing the same thing here in Los Angeles. Our homicides have been up 32%. I applaud Eric Garcetti for doing what he's done. We've got four blocks in Seattle that you just saw pictures of that is more like a block party. We had two murders, multiple shootings, rape, robbery, assault. We need to completely dismantle the Minneapolis Police Department. We need a revolution in order to overthrow this system, bring a whole new communist world into being. Fundamentally transform the country. We ain't about to wait until the next election. We about to go get that mother And it is ultimately going to lead to a reduction in overall inflation, but most importantly, to the budget that people have every single day. Inflation is like a theoretical word that economists use, but what families feel every day is the up or down of costs. Oh, that's not probably going to help make anybody feel better. Inflation, she says, is a theoretical word that economists use. U.S. Customs and Border Patrol has just released its figures for the southern border encounters in July, and they're stunning. The official number, just under 200,000. In July, there were 10 hits on the FBI's terrorist screening database, bringing the fiscal year total of those hits to 66. That's more than double the last five years combined. Fentanyl seizures were up more than 200% in July over June. Added all together, experts say all of these numbers are extremely disturbing. Yeah, George, you know, when you're arguing with people in a 9% in a inflation world, that they shouldn't be feeling pain, that the economy is actually good. Um, that's just a losing argument. I agree and they with know that. it. The, the American people feel it. They know it. And in the end, what but we. It is a tale of two economies. So you're right. The inflation rate is incredibly high. But look at those jobs numbers on Friday. Well, but people, but people can't keep up with the costs of living their lives. So they say, okay, great, I've got a job. That's a good thing. But to get to that job, I got to fill my car with gas, and it costs that much more. Then, when I'm on my way home from work, I get to the supermarket, and I get absolutely tanked there from a from a dollar perspective. Um, and then I look at 
what's going on with my kids, if I'm sending them to school, are they going to college? All those expenses are going way, way up. And people say, yeah, I have a job, but my life is worse now than it was two years ago. And we know from Ronald Reagan that that's an incredibly powerful question. Am I better off now than I was two years ago? And the American people don't feel it, and that's why Joe Biden's in the 30s. If you look at our, if our, our new poll, I mean, he's getting credit for almost nothing. He, he's, he's on a roll. I mean, there's no question that Joe Biden is on a roll legislatively, on the national security front, but he's getting no credit for it. And look, inflation is you know, still a factor. Gas prices are actually coming down and have been coming down for almost two months. Uh, the unemployment numbers uh, are remarkable. Not only the unemployment numbers, but wage growth uh, continues to rise. It's just not keeping pace with inflation. It's an inside well, Washington role, George. When I think that's it's an inside Washington role. Like, you know, oh, they, they won on the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a ridiculous name, as you pointed out in the interview, but they won on that. They got Democrats to actually vote for a Democrat bill. What are we going to do? Like, drop the confetti at the White House? I mean, this is ridiculous. It's an inside Washington role. The people in, in the rest of the country are saying, wait a second, I'm still paying much more for gas than I should. I'm still paying much more to... And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It is the 18th of August, year of my Lord, 2022, episode 619. And my God, I am so sorry. Um... In the ever-changing thing that is my stomach, I had GERD so bad for an entire week. It subsided on Sunday, but it's taken me today to have a voice. Um, took out my voice. Uh, it's the first time I've ever had that in this little lineage. You know, I hurt the, the esophagus, the doxycycline, but it wasn't like this. And I pretty much spent seven days with bile going into my mouth when I slept during the day, could barely keep anything down. But the nausea was better, but I just couldn't speak. So this is going to be a kind of cleanup podcast. Uh, sadly, I've missed so many things um, because I, I had podcasts and I scrubbed them and I, I was ready to go. But I just couldn't get my voice to work. Um, yesterday, about midday, I had a voice again. And I thought about coming down. But I go, you know, I'll just wait in the morning. We'll do it. So a lot to talk about. We're going to talk a little bit about their climate change inflation reduction bill. Yeah, that, that got through. That's interesting. Uh, the water they're carrying down to um, him wearing cool sunglasses. That, that was a thing this week. The intro was a hodgepodge of, you know, we're still talking about fucking Supreme Court justice on the left instead of actually talking about what's going on. Him struggling to put, put on a jacket. Um, you, you know, I he is just not well. And I think the media really is overshooting the objective to be pushing he's a great guy. Um, things are not good. Two fucking million interactions on the southern border. That's where we'll be this year. So in two years, he's let four million. There was a gate that the National Guard had closed and, and DHS has walked up and opened it. It's just, we're garbage. Yes, inflation went back to 8.5. Gas is slightly less. If you got a Kroger Plus card and you are really good with 
following the coupons like my wife is, you get yourself some good gas. I, I bought gas for $1.99 yesterday. That was pretty fucking cool. It was like the 90s. Um, but it, it's rough. So they just got to throw more money at it. Uh, green energy boondoggles that are not going to help you and I. They're not going to change anything. But if there was something that was exciting, and I just want to do my little thing. The music's over. Okay, back to regular intro. At least we don't have to see Liz Cheney anymore. The great and original champion of our party, Abraham Lincoln, was defeated in elections for the Senate and the House before he won the most important election of all. Lincoln ultimately prevailed, he saved our union, and he defined our obligation as Americans for all of history. Speaking at Gettysburg of the great task remaining before us, Lincoln said that we here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, and that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from this earth. As we meet here tonight, that remains our greatest and most important task. Most of world history is a story of violent conflict, of servitude and suffering. Most a close watch on Wyoming and what happens there tonight could add to a trend, and that is election deniers winning primaries around the nation. What does that mean for our democracy and the risk of more chaos like what we saw on January 6th? Well, it's primary night in the state of Wyoming, and you know what that means. It means that very soon Liz Cheney will have an endowed chair at AEI, be writing a column for National Review, and be releasing a book from Simon & Schuster called Democracy. That's just our guess. She's going to lose, it looks like, tonight by a large margin because God does exist. But before she heads to retirement, we thought we would ask a pretty simple question. How does Liz Cheney get so rich? She's been a member of Congress for six years. Now, so when she took office in 2017, her net worth was estimated at $7 million, which is a lot for someone with no skills, but that's what she had. Now she's worth more than $44 million, according to the Center for Responsive Politics, which looked at her financial disclosure forms. Now, probably an honest explanation for all of this. We're not accusing her of robbing liquor stores, but you have to wonder, how did Liz Cheney make more than $36 million in six years of public service? That's $6 million a year. Huh. Good gig. She didn't report any earned income, gifts, or transactions on her disclosure form. Her top-listed assets were Citibank, $3 million dollars and money from her husband's law firm, Latham & Watkins, also $3 million. There's also money from a family trust. We assume that accounted for a lot of the cash, but we don't know. Whatever the case, it's not Wyoming's problem anymore. After tonight, Liz Cheney is going back to where she's actually from, suburban Virginia, probably running for president, too. And we- uh, so, you know, she wants to take things nationally, and I'm not exactly sure what the lane is. Part of that, you can see here, her net favorability rating, that's her favorable minus her unfavorable. Among all voters, it's at minus 10 points. It's underwater. Among Republicans, not surprisingly, it's well underwater at minus 53. Independents, minus 17. Of course, that might be the group she might want to appeal to. Uh, She does have a base within the Democrat Party, right, at plus 36. Uh, And that's not surprising, given that the two counties she won last night in Wyoming were, in fact, two counties that Joe Biden carried. But overall here, I'm just not quite sure, given this number, 
uh, what she's exactly going to do, especially to stop Donald Trump, given how far underwater she is with Republicans. Well, you know, listen, she's got big plans, right? I mean, the speech was grand in its language, uh, references to the Civil War, to Lincoln, to Ulysses S. Grant. I don't know if she's Lincoln or Ulysses S. Grant or both uh, in, in this, this speech. Uh, but she talked about America being a house on fire in many ways in terms of the threat to uh, our democracy and her being someone who wants to be part of gathering Americans uh, to essentially uh, put out this fire that she says is being set by Donald Trump and, and some of his uh, allies. We will see. I mean, in so many ways, Liz Cheney is a person without a party. I mean, her party in many ways is the Beltway media. Um, and, you know, she might get grand profiles in the Atlantic and maybe she gets a cable news deal. But in terms of having actual Republicans who will follow her, uh, we, we can see in the polling, we can see in the results from this race, but that, that she, you know, is a person on an island in, in her party. You spoke of actual Republicans. There's one sitting next to you. Yes, yes. <laughs> Scott Jennings, what lesson do you take out of this? Well, I think getting on the wrong side of Trump is survivable if, if it doesn't become a crusade. I mean, for Cheney, this became a crusade, and, and obviously she paid the price. It, it, it did raise an interesting question. We, you know, sometimes in political science circles, we talk about whether congressmen are supposed to rep are supposed to act the way they think they should act, or are they supposed to be mirrors of what their constituents want? And in Wyoming, we found out that the Republicans out there would rather their congressman be more of a mirror uh, uh, than somebody who follows what's in her heart. So she, you know, her her positions aren't invalid. It's just that they're out of step with the people of Wyoming. And so uh, I, I think that that question is interesting in this day and age. The, the person we don't talk much about is Hageman, who won, who's been on quite a journey. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when she was on the floor of the Republican National Convention, literally plotting a coup against Donald Trump's nomination. I mean, she was, she was part of the people who were trying to set up a vote on the floor to get rid of Donald Trump in that big dramatic Ted Cruz moment. And now she's come all the way to being Trump's choice here, which I, which I find uh, extremely interesting, uh, uh, to say the least. And so I think she more represents the well, I'm just going to do what you want me to do. I mean, it's kind of a pure populist. Like, I have no views of my own. I'll just be a vessel for whatever the mob, you know, in this case, Republican voters want me to do. There may not be enough Republican primary voters to sustain Liz Cheney, but to your point, there may be enough interviews to sustain yeah. Liz Cheney. I mean, yeah. she's going to be on a, a major national network mm -hmm. this morning at 7 a.m. I mean, th this is part of the plan is to try to just generate as much attention over time for yourself as you can and, and see if it, you know, eventually turns into something. I'm dubious that it will. She, she clearly deeply believes this and uh and and you know there, there is something to be admired about people who you know are facing certain you know negative outcomes who who keep going on the other hand you know the raw cynical political tactician in me is like you went out and you, you blew yourself up you're now out of office uh you have no chance of of achieving the objective you you probably are going to be seeking i mean I, 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 there's an interesting duality. Let's go back to um, the, the primary season. It's almost over now. And 64% of the Republicans who have won their primaries are election deniers. That is your red line. That is who is coming to Congress if Republicans prevail and get control of Congress. Given that state of affairs, do you think it would be better for the country if Democrats retained control? Try it one more time. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she fears for our very democracy if Republicans win in November. Do you? And finally, in the moments we have, word on the street was that you and your team were fond of an editorial recently that likened you to Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, who said to Darth Vader, <laughs> essentially as they duked it out, if you strike me down now, I will be stronger in death.
Is that how you see it? You're stronger in political death? Before I go into my Liz Cheney, I forgot to, to hit something that is... Um, did I bookmark it? I did not bookmark it. Um, but that's okay. Uh, article from Reuters about that lightning. Washington, D.C. lightning strike that killed three offers climate warning. Because I guess lightning wasn't around and man-made lightning. Or something. I mean, that's some fucking cheesy shit. But Liz Cheney's right on the same line. Liz Cheney never got that she wasn't a a martyr, just another rich, entitled member of the D.C. establishment. She forgot who she worked for. And, you know... I think she's a perfect example of the narcissism that are in, that are just in um, our leaders, just straight up narcissists. You get punted by that much and you think you should run for president. Really? Is that, I mean, I just, that's like a football team losing by 40 points and going, yeah, we're going to go to the Super Bowl. It's just going to happen because we're that good. No. No, you're not. She became what the left needed, and she was an advocate to ensure that every person that voted for Trump, every person who questioned the election, every person that questioned how that fucking kabuki theater was being run was an insurrectionist, wasn't for democracy, wasn't right. She is everything that is wrong since Trump's came along. See, I get it. We're, we're all human You know, everyone wants to sit with the cool kids at the cool kid table. And for once, she could. Remember, she came from Darth Cheney. They fucking hated him. They made a movie about him. They said that he and George Bush rigged the Twin Towers. That's how much they hated her lineage but then she decided hey and maybe it's on the up and up i don't know um trump was bad trump was bad for america and she started getting high on her own supply that hey he cannot run and then over time it became well i really like these lefties they treat me good my party doesn't anymore And they just keep getting bigger and bigger with it. Kinziger. So many of the never Trumps. That's what they became. All of a sudden they're arguing for gun confiscation. And live term abortion. And they don't even know how they got there. They just know 
if Trump said A, they had to say B. And they tried, CNN specifically, tried so hard to somehow get people to be on her side. And they would go to these events and you'd get one person. I'm hearing a hum and I don't know what it is. Oh, it's a new water pipe over me. Um, It's all in that fake world. And that's where she became. So people don't want that. She wasn't even from Wyoming anymore. She was from Virginia. But just a couple headlines that don't fit in. This is the world Liz Cheney went into, and that's why she lost by 40 fucking points. Racist and sexist disinformation is sowing division among Asian Americans. NBC News, nowhere in there does it talk about African Americans beating the fuck out of her. It's not there. They never say the words. With Trump's reign, we'll do a little bit on it. Got some tracks to play. Remember, U.S. Code, U.S. Code 7393, the Espionage Act, was the precise status Hillary Clinton violated and was not charged for violating. She led the charge for this. An open-ended, you can take whatever you want because we need more information to continue this Kabuki theater. Dean Obadiah this week. At this point, literally view people who still support Donald Trump no different than the despicable, vile people who supported bin Laden. That's who she became. During the time I wasn't podcasting. Huge story. It was everywhere. Until they found out that the guy was an Afghan. And then the story ended. That's the world she she joined. 87% of suspect arrested in New York's Nassau County freed without bail. That's her world. And people are sick of it. WHO warns people not to attack monkeys amid monkeypox outbreak. That's the world she joined. And that's why she is no longer an elected official. And they will try to pump her up. You watch the media... They will continue to pump her up and try to get her to run because they want that freak show. They want as much freak show on the left so that their guy looks normal again. He's a normal guy. He's not an extremist, which is what he is. The climate bill itself will not help the climate. It'll put our food industry at risk especially milk products and beef. A great article from the Federalist. These economists say whatever Democrats want. Those are our experts now who pumped this up as an inflation bill. And then the moment it was fucking passed, they said this is the greatest climate bill ever, including Barack Obama, who said this is a big fucking deal. The media has redefined recession. This whole thing, Biden 
administration disparaged the CBO, which is when you were a Republican, you're not supposed to do that. And so they passed a law that won't help inflation, won't help the climate, but it'll ensure 87,000 IRS people who can carry guns because it's in the job description, as we found in the last podcast, to squeeze the middle class more. That's Chuck Schumer claiming the Inflation Reduction Act will totes to reduce inflation and other blatant lies set off major BS detector. The Inflation Reduction Act this Senate Democratic majority has passed will endure as one of the defining legislative feats of the 21st century. It reduces inflation, lowers costs, creates millions of good-paying jobs, and is the boldest climate package in U.S. history. That was before it was passed. Then, the media carried it. Senate passes Democrats sweeping climate, health, and tax bill. That's CBS. CNN, Senate passes Democrats sweeping health care and climate bill. Senate passes $739 billion health care and climate bill. It happened. Boom. They pushed. And they got what they wanted. Word salad. I mean, here's a good... Example of the obfuscation and lies the Dems have done that the media used to chew up when his name was Trump. There, can you understand how 87,000 new IRS agents would scare the heck out of millions of Americans? Millions of Americans aren't going to be impacted by that other than getting better service from the IRS, having their telephone answered, getting the questions they need in order to comply with our tax laws. The auditing is going to be focused on those of high income, the large corporations, etc. So uh, there's no reason to be fearful. And if you have paid your taxes and if you comply with our laws, you should want to make sure everyone else does that. 2159 special agents, 21.3 million spent on guns and ammunition, 4,500 guns, 5 million rounds of ammunition. How many of these new 87,000 agents will be armed? Well, here's the duty and job description of it. And it says carry a firearm. You think it's going to go off to the left? Oh, no. No. We just can't. We, we, we just can't. IRS audits the poor at five times the rate of everyone else. This is, again, the lie that they are not going to touch anybody under $400,000. And it's a complete lie. You can't pay for boondoggles with what billionaires have. You have to pay for it with the middle class. There's not a lot of billionaires. There's a shitload of people making fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars. And that's where you get your money. And they've been able to lie. I mean, we've English wordsmith recession. We've changed the way we we actually say there's a recession. We just lied about an inflation bill, which is actually a climate and health bill. Does nothing for inflation other than tax the shit out of people. 
but they are carrying so much water. So before we get to the raid, here's our jerk off. And they're just, man, they, they are, we're not talking camelbacks. We're talking fucking water buffaloes. Iowa politics, the media jerk off of the week. We're going to turn now to a big victory at the White House. President Biden is set to sign the massive health, climate, and tax bill into law later today. Now, this is the largest climate investment in U.S. history, and our chief White House correspondent, Cecilia Vega, has more on how else this bill will impact Americans. Hey, Cecilia, good morning. Hey, hey Gio, good morning. Yeah, it's such a big win for President Biden. He's actually interrupting his vacation and flying back to the White House today just for this bill signing. So let me show you what's inside of it, because as you said, it is indeed a big one. We're talking about some 740 billion dollars overall on this health care front. It's going to help some 13 million Americans pay for insurance by expanding subsidies. It caps prescription drug costs at $2,000 a year for Medicare recipients. And then starting next year, those receiving Medicaid would pay no more than 35 bucks a month for insulin. That's that really expensive drug. It's also the largest, as you just said, Geo. First of all, uh, it's important to stop and recognize the breadth of accomplishments that Democrats uh, and President Biden have achieved. You know, one of the uh, dangers for all of us who uh, talk about politics for a living is that we write the review before the play is finished. And so there had been a story uh, that had taken root that the uh, Democrats were ineffective and President Biden wasn't getting anything done. Now he's got both uh, bipartisan achievements on guns, on infrastructure, on semiconductor investment, on veterans health care, and also big partisan breakthroughs. The American Rescue Plan, of course, last year, and now this largest ever investment by the U.S. government in fighting climate change. Those are big substantive achievements. Those are things that Democrats are in politics to do, and they are now doing them, uh, and some of them with Republican cooperation. Now, will it help them in the midterms? Sure, it will help them. It will uh, uh, convey an aura of success around Democrats in the White House. Uh, it will has the potential for expanding the enthusiasm of young people on climate and older people on those Medicare provisions. But will it be enough to avoid losing control of Congress? That's a different story. The historical tides are very powerful here. Republicans only need a handful of seats to gain the House. Uh, and the historical pattern is that many more are usually gained by the party uh, that is not in power in the White House. Senate's a more uh, competitive situation. The president has a solid chance of holding control of the Senate, especially because of some of those shaky Republican candidates. That would be in and of itself an achievement for his last two years. It would let him get judges through, get nominees confirmed. So certainly the White House is feeling more confident as are Democrats now that they've gotten these things done and are on the cusp of To pay for it, Democrats targeting tax changes aimed at the wealthiest and big corporations, hiking the corporate minimum tax rate to 15% for big businesses, and boosting IRS enforcement. The bill bears the policy imprint of moderate Democrats Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, who downsized the package over the course of the last year of negotiating with Majority Leader Chuck Schumer. Schumer, though, celebrating the political balancing act. So this is my secret uh, to success. Some Democrats still mad about what was left out. The bottom line is this legislation is a baby step forward 
it doesn't go as far as it should. But President Biden calling it a win. Do I expect you to help? Yes, I do. It's going to need you to help. The megawatt deal now a centerpiece of the midterm message for both parties. We voted. Democrats delivered. This is a terrible bill. They're increasing spending and they're raising taxes while we're in the middle of a recession. All right, Ali Vitale joins us now. Ali, the bill is expected to pass in the House. What are experts saying on how it will affect the current inflation crisis? Tom, top economists say this bill will put downward pressure on inflation. A group of former Treasury secretaries from Republican and Democratic administrations had urged Congress to pass it, saying investments in energy and health care will fight inflation and lower costs while setting the table for long-term economic growth. Tom. The president is on the verge of a hard-fought victory. The Inflation Reduction Act, which will reduce prescription drug costs, lower the deficit, and includes the largest U.S. commitment ever to fighting climate change. That's a big deal, changing people's lives. A whole range of things that are really game-changing for ordinary folks. Democrats tonight pushing on the changes coming for health care. For the first time, Medicare will be able to negotiate the price of prescription drugs with pharmaceutical companies and cap out-of-pocket expenses for seniors at $2,000 a year. The bill would also lower premiums for Americans buying their own health insurance. It would be paid for by increasing taxes on top corporations. And on climate, the roughly $740 billion package would help Americans who are looking to buy an electric vehicle, including a $7,500 tax credit for buying certain new electric vehicles and $4,000 for purchasing used ones. Plus tax breaks for Americans who make their homes more energy efficient by installing solar panels. The Senate vote by the narrowest possible margin, straight down party lines, with Republicans blasting the plan saying it might fuel inflation by raising taxes. This gives phony and cynical a bad name. With $369 billion for clean energy programs, it's also the largest climate change bill in U.S. history, including tax credits for people who buy electric cars and for energy efficient home upgrades. It expands subsidies to... John Harwood, this is bizarre, wood, bizarre world economics, right? Things are, things are good and that's bad. You know, wages are rising, unemployment's low, the job market's hot, and that's going to be bad for working people. Politically, how do you make sense of that? Well, politically, at this moment, this is a very good report for President Biden. First of all, we had a couple of weeks ago a silly extended debate over whether or not we were in a recession these numbers make pretty clear we are not in a recession. You don't add half a million jobs when in a recessionary environment. Uh, it makes it more likely that that first quarter GDP number is going to get revised up and not be negative as it was in the initial hmm. report. Uh, there's nothing presidents like better than adding a lot of jobs and being able to tell Americans it's a great time to go out and get a job. The flip side, of course, as Mark just referred to, is uh, it means a hot economy. And because both President Biden and the Fed have indicated that getting inflation down is a top priority. Remember, inflation has been a huge political problem for President Biden. That means the Fed is likely to have to be uh, continue to be very aggressive in terms of raising interest rates. Now, in the immediate term, uh, uh, the economy is in quite good shape. But it does uh, present the possibility that if the Fed slams on the brakes uh, too abruptly, not skillfully enough, you could end up in a recession either late this year or in 2023. But right now, uh, this is a, a very strong economy, very strong labor market, and the president's going to uh, crow about that today. Mark, what do you think? Well, I think John is 100% right about all of this. I mean, talking the political aspect of things. Given that they did take all of this material, boxes of material, and, and 
classified documents as well. And given how casual he was about securing documents that's been well established when he was president, do you think that should disqualify him from being president again? And would you vote for him if he runs? I'll keep my powder dry with regards to, to your last question. I think right now we're going to focus on the 2022 election. We want to retake the House. We definitely want to retake the United States Senate. And I think in doing that, and our goal is, is to focus on what's going on right now with the American people. We're going to focus on the fact that inflation is still over 8.5%. Uh, we're still talking about GDP, which has been going down. And as you know, uh, sharing breakfast with the, chair, the former chairman of the, uh, of the Federal Reserve, anytime you've got two quarters in a row, you are in a recession. We want to see us get out of that recession. And most certainly, we want to see gas prices come down. They're still a buck and a half higher than when Joe Biden took office. Those are not good policies to run on for Democrats. We need to focus on that. Uh, and as we get past that and get into the 2024, I think the Republican will be well positioned. But uh, let's get past the 2022 election first. And we're not in a recession yet, but uh, we'll wait and see what does happen. And we really want to thank you. It's very good that you came on two, today. Two Senator quarters Rouse. tell you differently than that. Not, uh, that that's out <laughs> of right, date. Thanks. Out of date. Even according to Republican economists. In <laughs> any case, when we come back, how much legal jeopardy does former President Trump face? I'll talk to two of our top legal experts to break it all down when we return. Stay. And there has to be a way to challenge Donald Trump that is not politically suicidal. And as much as I admire Liz Cheney, she hasn't yet found that way. So how, how much of a fine line are they walking, Jonathan? Oh, I don't think uh, Liz Cheney is walking any kind of fine line. She has made it clear that going after um, speaking truth to power, uh, not cowering in the face of Donald Trump, even putting her political career on the line, that that is what she's going to do because she's decided that saving American democracy, standing up for the rule of law and the Constitution in the face of a grave threat is much more important than holding elective office in Wyoming. And, you know, look, I keep thinking about the this, this scene in Star Wars uh, Episode four, when Darth Vader and Obi-Wan Kenobi are battling it out on the Death Star. And Obi-Wan says to Darth Vader, if you strike me down, I will come back more powerful than you can imagine. And to me, Liz Cheney is, is, is Obi-Wan Kenobi. If she loses, which she very well might lose her primary on August 16th, she could very well come back more powerful than Donald Trump has imagined. And if her goal is to ensure that he comes, never comes with, in any manner of feat of the Oval Office, if she can succeed in doing that, she will have done a major service uh, to, the American, to the, the American experiment. We're going to have a quiz on Star Wars. <laughs> the next time we're I'll together. I'll do Marvel comics. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was a great note to end on. Jonathan Capehart, David Brooks, thank you both. We appreciate it. Thank you. George, we're going to turn out to these rising prices in the hope that just maybe, maybe we are turning a corner. These new numbers show inflation jumped 8.5% from a year ago, but that was less than expected. A potential slowdown due in part perhaps to some falling gas prices. Trevor Ald is at a gas station here in New York with maybe some much-needed good news on this. Hey, Trevor. 
Hey, good morning, Cecilia. Yeah, this morning at this Brooklyn Shell station, a gallon of regular will set you back $4.15, which for New York City, compared to earlier this summer, I got to tell you, it feels like a bargain. We all remember when the national average for gas went above $5 a gallon back in June. Well, this morning, it's just dipped below $4 a gallon on average, $3.99. Gas prices actually fell 7.7% in, in July. They've gotten lower 58 days in a row now, and the cheapest price for a gallon of gas on average now is in Texas, $3.49. But it's not just gas prices getting cheaper. Airline fares, used cars and trucks, communications like computers, internet, they've all gotten cheaper too, along with apparel. But we have a long way to go to get back to where we were, Cecilia, on average this time last year. A gallon of gas would cost you $3.18. Yeah, you're Cecilia. exactly right. In a word, this report was a relief for Wall Street. Yesterday's report showing inflation up 8.5% versus a year ago. That's still less than where we were just a month ago in June. And the way Wall Street sees this is that we've turned a corner, that inflation has peaked. And as you just heard there from Trevor, a big reason for that is gas prices. There are still areas of the economy, however, that are much higher than they were a year ago. Groceries and shelter, these are things you just can't get around. And even though we've turned... Breaking news, the Senate approves a landmark economic and climate package overnight in a marathon session and vote straight down party lines. A rare working weekend here for the Senate. Not much sleep during this marathon session, but Democrats feeling the momentum after notching this long-fought win. This morning, Democrats triumphant, passing a sweeping climate, health care, and economic package. After 22 straight hours of dusk-to-dawn work, President Biden saying it's why he ran for president in the first place to make government work for working families again. Uh, you can't separate this kind of thing from politics. The midterms are upon us. President Biden has, uh, you know, historically low approval ratings, record inflation, other setbacks, but now he's got a couple of legislative victories notched. It comes at a time when the president has a series of positive events to tout. Democrats riding high after a marathon weekend session. Is relief finally in sight for so many Americans with that major victory for President Biden? Breakthrough. The Senate passing a sweeping economic package by a razor-thin majority. Combating inflation, climate change, what it means for your health insurance, and costs of prescription drugs. First, that big victory for Democrats on Capitol Hill. The Senate passed a major health care, climate, and tax package on a party-line vote. President Biden is one step closer to a major political victory this morning. They have been fighting for some of these big wins for decades like this. President Biden, as you said, he is. this is a major victory for him. The White House is certainly calling that, especially ahead of the midterms. President Biden and other Democrats celebrate a major victory after the Senate passes his spending bill. We're going to begin in Washington. Washington with a landmark victory for President Biden on a bill to tackle climate change and raise taxes on big corporations. Applause erupted on the Senate floor after Vice President Kamala Harris delivered the tie-breaking vote to pass Democrats' signature economic health and climate agenda. On paper, it would seem like a good week last week for the president and the start of another good one this week, but the numbers don't suggest so much. No matter how you slice it, this has been one of the most successful stretches of the Biden presidency. A huge win for... You've, you've got the, the China competitiveness bill, $280 billion to make sure that we can have a stronger semiconductor manufacturing base in America so we're not dependent on China. Confirmation of the first black woman to the U.S. Supreme Court. And then this package, Mika, which is landmark. Yeah. I mean, this has been an extraordinarily successful uh, two years legislatively. Any way you cut it, even Republicans have to admit this privately, and they are. 
It's been a hell of a run. First of all, you're right. For Joe Biden, think about it. Pull out 20,000 feet, world stage, preventing a nuclear war, preventing World War III. Check. Uh, COVID, he survived it. Two bouts of it, never went to the hospital. COVID's under control, and this president, unlike the former president, who always talks about his strength, who had to be shipped off quickly to the hospital and pumped with all sorts of crazy drugs, Al Zawahiri, check. This is all global. And this president has checked it off, and there's more. Then you move to domestic, and you look at this huge accomplishment. And I just have to question members of Congress on the Democratic side, who are just like flies to a fly strip to the latest polls of today. And I just think, why are you being so transactional? I mean, are, don't you have a mind that can pull out 20,000 feet and look at what this president has accomplished? Because these poll numbers, if you look at history and you look at how Americans feel when they see accomplishments piling up, they tend to see what a president has accomplished. They see it in their pocketbook. By the way, gas prices plummeting. I mean, it's all moving. It's comedic. It's completely comedic. They will do anything to take care of him. Thomas Massey, the Biden administration crossed the line. We can't wait two more years to correct it. After the 2022 election, Congress must use the power of the purse to rein in the DOJ, FBI. Any Republican who tells you that's not possible is too addicted to big government to fix it. I know he's talking about the raid, but it's talking about everything we're doing right now. We're going back to the ACA concept where we just passed bills. Nobody knows what's in it. And they get to do whatever the fuck they want. Spend money any way they want. Ignore the CBO. And just make shit up. They're just making shit up. I mean, could the right ever pass a bill that is called, with the media help, inflation reduction, and it be a pro-gun bill, or pro-big business bill, or whatever the fuck you want to call it? Could you get away with that? The answer is unequivocally no. you never be able to do it. So for the raid, it's once again abuse of power. He was on the, he was, we're just going to move to the raid because it, it, it sums up everything that's going on. Abuse of power. He was on the stand all last week lying, set a new record for lying, straight up. And this, te- I'm not going to put slide up. People have to stop calling it a raid. It was a lawful search pursuant to a warrant. Don't let Trump and pals frame the message. Someone said the alternative to raid also needs to be a short and snappy. I think the frame needs to be suggest due process of law to counter the right wing narrative that Trump's home was under siege and occupied. Okay, fine. I'll go with search. Also, the main point, search is accurate and raid is not. It's not a game. It was a raid. The new person on The View, Alyssa Farrah Griffin, a conservative. 
The inflammatory rhetoric coming from some on the right this evening is frightening. Elected officials need to tone down the rhetoric and let the facts play out. An environment, words matter so much. Words. This is what the FBI has done. This comes from Harmit Key Dillon. Pushed Russia collusion, spied on line-abiding Americans, lied to FISA court, ignored Hillary's server, ignored Biden family criminal activity, persecute journalists at Project Veritas, treats J6 trespassers like terrorists, goes after PTA moms, ignores drug crimes at border, allowed drug cartels to operate freely in the U.S. I could go on. Our FBI has become a total disgrace, and Merrick Garland is so deeply lacking in judgment that he is unfit to serve as AG. Americans deserve better than this shameful crew. And then people add, they made up a kidnapping of a governor. It was false. It was done by informants. The judge who signed this is a Clintonite that worked with Epstein and buried all that shit. McCarthy saying they're going to go scorched earth. Doesn't really matter. The damage is already done. And before I play this, I want you to remember once again, this is what they did for HRC. Good morning. I'm here to give you an update on the FBI's investigation of Secretary Clinton. What I want to do is tell you what we're recommending. But first, let me tell you what we found. 110 emails, 52 email chains have been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains are top secret. 36 of those chains are secret. And eight contain confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? Everything I did was admitted. There was no law. Regulations. Secretary Clinton should have known that an unclassified system was no place for that conversation. I did not email any classified material to anyone on my email. None of these emails should have been on any kind of unclassified system, not even Gmail. But first of all, nothing was marked classified. To the contrary, nothing was marked classified. There is evidence nothing that was marked classified. classified. Now let me tell you what we found. Oh my God. 110 emails. It was not the best choice. 52 email chains. It was a mistake. Have been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains are top secret. Was it the best choice? Six of those chains. I said it was a mistake. Eight contain confidential information. What difference at this point does it make? With respect to our recommendation, this is going to be an unusual statement in at least a couple of ways. Although there is evidence, our judgment is that no prosecutor would bring such a case. <laughs> I know there will be intense public debate. I know there will be intense public debate. I know there will be intense public debate. Public debate. What difference at this point does it make? 110 emails. It wasn't the best choice. 52 email chains. I made a mistake. I've been determined to contain classified information. What difference at this point does it make? Eight of those chains are top secret. not a good choice. Six of those chains I said it was a mistake. We didn't do raids. We didn't have rams and fucking flashbangs. We didn't do any of this shit. The same time she was caught with all sorts of digital 
top secret. Digital's way worse than a piece of paper in Melania's underwear drawer. The enemy can't get that. The enemy can get digital. She was let free. And it took months to go through her hard drive. When the Wiener laptop, which was everything, was there, it took a couple days and they let it go. And that was the very same time the media said that the FBI was a bunch of conservative fucking toads. So then they turned about to fucking change that. And under Trump, it is now a tool of the left. That's all it's there for is a tool for the left. And as I play the asshole, I want you to listen to this shit. Listen to these motherfuckers playing with words. Not a ray, not that important. Jerking off, walls closing in. It's just another fishing expedition. And I want you, as you listen to it, I know it's long. Would this ever happen to a Democrat? Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole? You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You are You dumb asshole! Asshole. Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. I feel very strongly, and I have communicated consistently since I started as director, that our folks need to make sure that they're not just doing the right thing, that they're doing it in the right way, and that they avoid, avoid even the appearance of bias or lack of objectivity. And in fact, in fact, one of the things I did, which to my knowledge had never been done before at the FBI, was in 2018, I pulled together and I took, I started at the top, which in my experience, and somebody in law enforcement, it never works that way. I started at the top and I brought the 250 or so very top people in the FBI from one corner of the globe to the other for a full day stand down at Quantico where the whole focus of the message, and we heard from the inspector general, we heard from a judge, we heard from the, the people who enforced the Hatch Act. The whole focus I, I know was on I know you did, the importance of, a, of the but appearance. But you wouldn't do something like this. This man had been with the FBI for 25 years. He's now on leave. He did this kind of stuff as recently as last month. Do you know how this looks to the American people? I will tell you that what you're describing is not representative of the FBI that I see up close every day in this country, where I see patriots working their tails off and I with tremendous with integrity I, I and objectivity. I agree with that and have said that to you repeatedly. But you're killing yourselves with I think, I think this is a Trump world talking point that all across the country, people are very concerned about the overreach and losing, losing confidence in the FBI <laughs> and the Justice Department now. That is true amongst in mega worlds, but I think most people across the country no, think no, if you didn't no, leave SE, the come White House... No, 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 come out of the bubble, come out of the bubble, finish, SE. 
if you didn't leave the White House with classified documents, you don't have to worry that the FBI is coming to raid your home office. I think most people think holding even the president accountable is good. That's a good thing. That's a, a sign of a healthy of a healthy um, Justice Department and um, a healthy FBI. I think this Trump world talking point that the FBI is corrupt and the Justice Department is coming for average Americans. Yeah, if they did it for Trump, I they mean, could do it to is, you. This is, a, yeah. it's preposterous. And I think we're parroting it as if it's a majority opinion. It's not. Yeah, I, I'm not going that far, Essie. What I'm simply saying is that a, a wide swath of Americans are very concerned about a historical precedent. Listen, I don't think that's this, true. Is a this is a presidential re this is presidential records act violation. This is not criminal. Precedent. This is not. Are, are you kidding me, Essie? Are you kidding me? Like no, did Hillary, I, they kicked down Hillary Clinton's was, doors was to get true. her server with Trump she has top the secret. Essie, can I can I finish? So <laughs> you have top secret information, top secret information on. Hillary Clinton's computer, okay? I'm not sure yes. if you're familiar with how a skiff works, SE, but you can't put top secret information. You don't need to be condescending, David. I, I know what no, you know. I'm, Trust I'm not SE. I'm just saying it is it is simply a much bigger deal. Nobody raided uh, the Clinton House in Chappaqua. We don't have and so to. So for you to say that I'm parroting, compare on, for you to say that I'm parroting, Mag, hey. SE, just let me finish. For you to say that I'm parroting MAGA world talking points because I'm saying Republicans writ large are concerned, I think you need to get out and talk to some Republicans, SE. You what said I think. a wide swath of Americans, and I believe that I said Hillary's, Hillary's, Republicans. Email, all right, all right, Hillary's emails, bad. Trump's documents, bad. Secret Service texts, bad. I want to. We've heard a lot about the Presidential Records Act now and have for quite some time. If this becomes a Presidential Records Act violation, not more, do you think it is enough to warrant all this? No, it's not enough to warrant all this. And this is a daring and dangerous move by the Department of Justice to serve a warrant on a former president and to raid his personal residence. Um, so I have to think that the Department of Justice must have something more than an argument about what kind of records have to be saved for a presidential library or the Library of Congress at some future date. They must, there's more to this than meets the eye, and I have to think that there's something a lot more serious that they think is being withheld uh, from the uh, presidential That's collection. You know, Andy, given the unprecedented nature of this, the fact that Donald Trump himself is talking about the search openly, do you think that we will hear directly from the Justice Department? I think it's unlikely that we'll hear anything specific from the Justice Department until they make the decision to go public with something like an indictment or, or a charge. And we don't we, we are not there yet, to be very clear. We don't know that that will ever happen. They may not decide to take any action. But this Justice Department is going to speak only through the public legal documents that might become uh, known if this investigation goes in that direction. And if I could just to tag on to what Paul said, I completely agree. Like this is such a bold, such a disruptive, such an aggressive mood. The idea that they would do this simply because they weren't getting the sort of compliance they were looking for out of securing the room with the documents and things like that seems really unimaginable to me. Um, I, I, it seems like regardless of the magnitude of this, this is about democracy. This is about someone who has abused and prostituted the Constitution of the United States. I'm pretty sure it has something more to do than just with boxes of classified documents, but we shall see.
And on that point, I mean, Mark, I mean, the midterms are about 91 days away. And there have been already primaries happening. There'll be more happening tomorrow, of course. But for the general election that's coming up, what people are talking about, potentially the loss of the majority for Democrats in one chamber, whether they'll be buoyed or not, is another story. But will this have an impact on how the election plays out? Oh, unquestionably. And if I'm Joe Biden, I'm pretty frustrated by all this. I mean, really? you know, four hours ago when we booked this show, Bakari and I were going to talk about the great <laughs> legislative victories of Joe Biden, and he doesn't even get one day to talk about it. So, uh, you know, a all lot can happen in four hours, Mark. A lot can happen in four hours, as we see. Boy, don't we know? Don't we know? But, you know, I, listen, I, I think the Democrats and Biden were very excited about, you know, the legislative conference and have some momentum about this. This is a huge diversion. Uh, and one that may ultimately hurt Trump, but but it, but it could also it could also help in the short run. Do you agree, Bakari? Look, I don't know any Democrats that are running in a in a any competitive uh, United States Senate or congressional seat that are going to run ads talking about aha your president about to get indicted. Like that's not going to happen. But they do have a story to tell: the the Inflation Reduction Act, Chips, the Pact Act. I mean, you can talk about the Republicans if you're running against someone who is a United States senator currently who voted against insulin caps. I mean, there's a story to tell for Democrats, uh, especially those who are in very, very competitive districts. And at the end of the day, I mean, uh, I just think that this is another news cycle. This is another story. But many Republicans want to wash their hands of Donald Trump. They just won't say it loudly. So we shall see. We shall see, indeed, who is more exhausted, who's clutching. We heard from local officials that they didn't have any prior knowledge about a search happening at Mar-a-Lago. The FBI, we know, alerted the Secret Service just a few hours before that search was executed. How closely held would this have been? Exceptionally so or, or sort of in a standard way? Uh, I would I would say second only to the bin Laden raid. Mm. If I had to guess, I mean, they probably didn't let anyone really in on it except for a very small circle. I imagine they prepared it uh, well out in advance in terms of how to how to control the scene, how to control the scenario, and they probably even rehearsed some reactions to things that might unfold, like media being alerted, other people showing up, and oftentimes, uh, you know, search warrants they can go wrong, meaning people don't understand what the situation is, and we've seen a very confrontational president before, so I, I would imagine they went in uh, quite prepared. Separately, in terms of the way they conduct this, you always keep it to the bare minimum number of people that need to know about a search warrant because you wouldn't want anyone inside or with access to the evidence to potentially destroy it um, or try and hide it or move it to another location. This is uh, essential to all investigations. So in terms of who knew and how many, I would say a very select group of people knew and they kept it probably tighter than just about any. Um, Short-fingered Bulgarian, um, uh, a spy magazine, which you once co-edited, uh, called him. You know, I, I, yesterday, the DOJ, did not make this public. That was not, they did not publicize this, this, this search of, the, of mar lago Donald Trump did. And it seems to me, for the reasons that, that Joyce is kind of implying, that that's what this is all about. Trump, Trump took this public because he thought it was in his interest to not just to spur these conspiracy theories, but then to put pressure on the DOJ. What would they say? There's nothing they could say that wouldn't that Donald Trump and the right wouldn't make part of their narrative. They'd be attacked for breaking with policy. They'd be attacked for dirtying up Donald Trump, no matter what the words that came out of their mouth are. Well, and let's remember. A quick, but I want to say important note for our audience. We keep hearing a lot of people call what the FBI did at Mar-a-Lago a raid. But for fact's sake, here's the deal. Law enforcement doesn't even use the term raid. So what actually happened? 
The Justice Department applied for and got a court-authorized search warrant that gave them lawful authority to enter Trump's home. That was consistent with the Fourth Amendment probable cause requirement and allowed agents to seize items as permitted by the judge and as outlined in the warrant. Words matter. And calling a court-authorized search a raid suggests some sort of degree of aggression and lawlessness that is simply inconsistent with the facts and the law. And those are the facts. Chuck, do I have that right? You got that right. I want our audience to understand. Nobody was banging down any doors. Nobody was answering a door in their underwear, shaken from bed. None of that happened. It was law and... And, and very glad that you made those points, Carrie, because Ken Delaney and the Justice Department has kind of got its hands tied behind its back. They are not supposed to comment on anybody in investigation until and if there were an indictment. And that was the violation that Jim Comey committed as FBI director in the case of Hillary Clinton to a great deal of criticism, both internally from justice, from main justice, and externally, of course, from the political world and the democratic sphere. So they can't really comment. And as much as commentators and pundits may want a comment yeah. from them, it's not appropriate for them to comment in any fashion. And yet you have an unrestrained you know, litany of comments from Trump world and from, as we'll get to later with Ben Collins and others, you know, online, you know, threatening comments, in fact. And Kevin McCarthy with really, you know, I have to say, an outrageous attack on Merrick Garland, you know, you know, brace yourself when we take over, you know, clear your calendar, we're going to investigate you. Merrick Garland is the most careful, judicious, to a fault, some would say, uh, you know, Meantime, yes. growing pressure on the Department of Justice and the FBI, really from both sides of the aisle tonight, to release something, some sort of explanation for this you know, unprecedented raid. Yeah, this is coming not just from Republicans who are supportive of Trump. Uh, this is coming uh, from people that have been quite critical of Trump, including uh, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, one of his most prominent Republican critics, is calling on the Biden administration to release all the documents uh, justifying this raid. And he offered a warning, David. Listen to what Larry Hogan said. He said, if the federal government cannot ultimately provide overwhelming evidence that actions were absolutely necessary, then it will only undermine faith in democracy and the rule of law and further divide Americans. So that a warning coming from somebody who has been quite critical of Donald Trump. All right, John Carl leading us off tonight. John, thank you for that. Let's for more on the possible criminal and political implications of this FBI search, let's bring in CBS's Robert Costa. Uh, Robert, good evening to you. What sort of implications does this have for a potential run for uh, the former president, which is looking at a possible bid in 2024? It could speed up his decision on 2024. CBS News has learned tonight that many top Republicans on the Trump side of the party are calling him saying, get in now, consolidate the base around you, block out rivals from running and complicate life for the Justice Department. Become a federal candidate, even while you might be under federal investigation. Others are saying, hold off, wait, see how this develops. That new reporting, I want to bring in our justice correspondent, Ken Delanian. Ken, we can't lose the magnitude of this moment. Walk our viewers through how unprecedented a move this was by the Justice Department. 
This appears to be a first, Tom. Legal experts are unaware of any other time in history when a former president's house was searched by law enforcement agents. To get the warrant, the FBI had to convince a federal judge there was evidence of a crime inside Trump's Florida residence. But even before that, Justice Department officials had to make the decision that such a controversial move was the best way to obtain what they were looking for. Well, the DOJ is not commenting. It's all but certain this search would have been approved by the attorney general himself. Who decided that simply asking for the documents or demanding them with this Dana one of the, the sort of key theories in your book the destruction this is talking about the fact that you know you trace this back to Newt Gingrich you trace this back to the contract with America that is where the beginning of the Republican Party sort of going off the rails begins with that in mind it's been almost 30 years since we saw that sort of transformation mm -hmm. What do you think is a potential worst case scenario here? You know, in, in August of, of 2018, two years into the Trump administration, he was tweeting about how he wanted Jeff Sessions to stop the witch hunt. He has now shown himself capable of literally raising a terrorist army to attack the Capitol. Do you think that this raid on his home will lead to domestic violence, domestic terror, or any other sort of violent reaction as he claims that he's been violated in his home? Well, Jason, God willing, it won't, but that is exactly uh, the concern right now. And if you look at, uh, to go back to the 90s, as, as you just were, uh, before the Oklahoma City bombing, there was a whole lot of things building up to that, a lot of smaller uh, skirmishes and incidents, and a whole lot of heated rhetoric coming from uh, Republican uh, lawmakers, from conservative talk radio at the time. Uh, and it got heated and more heated, uh, and then we had that uh, catastrophic event. Uh, I, I think some people who follow these things closely are worried that we've been building towards uh, just such a moment right now uh, with the rising amount uh, of violence we've seen from uh, right-wing domestic terrorists who are uh, the lion's share of uh, domestic terrorism right now. Uh, so that is a very real concern, uh, and, but I think a lot of it will uh, hinge on uh, the reaction uh, Trump has. Is he going to sick his, uh, his army of uh, Proud Boys and Oath Keepers on the United States government again? And what happens with his... Uh, his potential rivals and elected Republicans in Congress. Do they? All right, let's go back to the search of Mar-a-Lago. Joining me now, CNN legal analyst and criminal defense attorney Joey Jackson and former federal prosecutor in the Southern District of New York and professor at Cardozo Law School, Jessica Roth. Uh, Joey reports this morning that the FBI took 12 boxes of stuff out of Mar-a-Lago when they searched it Monday. Does that seem like a lot? Uh, look, uh, anything, right, would seem like a lot when it furthers a criminal investigation. We don't know, right, how large the boxes are, how many documents are within those boxes. I think, though, to be misled by the notion that it simply dealt with declassified documents, I think, would be misleading. I think there's a lot more here that we have to connect the dots to. Is there any information in there with respect to January 6th that would further the notion of what he was doing, who he was communicating with, any documents centered around that? And so, you know, the fact is, is that we are in uncharted waters here, right? Who goes to a president's residence to take documents? In my view, John, I think the issue here is that indictment, and I'll say it, I think it's imminent as it relates to the president. Look at the timing and everything else. I think he's in trouble. I think his surroundings, Jeffrey Clark, John Eastman, perhaps uh, Mr. Giuliani, uh, it's going down, as they say. Just to be clear, so people understand, our reporting as of now is this has to do with the issue of archives and documents. It is not directly related to January 6th as our reporting. That doesn't mean if they find something connected to January 6th, they can't take it. If it's in plain sight, there could be a national security reason here, sort of separate and aside from a criminal reason. You want to get these documents in a safe place as fast as you can, period. And that might not necessarily mean you ultimately press charges. 
Absolutely. And it's important to make a distinction between the legal standard that's necessary to obtain a search warrant, which is probable cause, and the legal standard necessary to convict somebody um, at trial, which is proof beyond a reasonable uh, doubt. It's the same standard to seek an indictment, but prosecutors, especially in these circumstances, would not pursue an indictment unless they were confident. Does that rhetoric make it actually, in your mind, more dangerous for these officials, for the FBI, to do its job every day? I think the, the two politicians just named, we, we've got to put them in context. It's not just the right or the left, it's both sides. And what we've seen and what I've seen in my 27-year career doing this, both 20 years at the FBI, DHS, and now at logically the company I'm at, is both sides get a vote here. And the two politicians you named, certainly um, they, they bear some responsibility here. But we see this going back and forth, and the way social media works in today's environment people fit within these ecosystems they want to live in and they're not taking in outside opinions. So when you have uh, folks of influence <clears throat> saying those types of things, it does have an impact and it leads to Brian, can you specify can you specify by what you mean when you say both sides? Are you are you talking about any democratic lawmakers right now saying things like what I just quoted from those two Republican lawmakers? What are you saying specifically? Sure, thanks. Uh, over time um, I'll give you an ex a more recent example. So uh, when the Supreme Court ruled on abortion, you know, we're, we're looking at the same kind of ecosystem, and we saw uh, people that were upset with the ruling to take violence as an answer to their grievance Who? And, and threaten and to, uh, you know, carry out acts of violence. But you just, okay, but your answer was in response to my question specifically about the danger of rhetoric like that from lawmakers. Yes, that's right. I'm talking so, about lawmakers. Sure. Yeah, Members so of when, Congress. Yeah, I, I don't think there's an, there's an equivalency between okay. what is happening right now, let me be clear, and kind of what okay. happened with the Supreme Court debate. But okay. I think my, my point is that where you have lawmakers speaking about the system in a way that is uh, highly negative and, and not, mm -hmm. not kind of normal uh, political speak, but with, with a point to it, people in social media will take that mm -hmm. as, a, as a beacon. Words have they, weight, yeah. That's right. And they matter very much, especially when you're in a... a no. It would never happen. Not if you're in negotiations. This would never happen. I mean, our media is so disingenuous. GOP governors send buses of migrants to D.C. and New York City with no plan for what's next. That's an actual NPR article that you and I paid for. We've now let 4 million fucking people that we know about, those are just encounters, come into the country, be illegally busted against the law because using federal funds to fucking move them or individuals moving, that's against the law. But we used military transports, airplanes, dropped them all over the fucking place. And buses right now going from Texas to D.C. or Arizona to D.C., people are just getting off wherever the fuck they want, untracked, 10 goddamn terrorists that we know of have come across the border. Untold numbers of murderers. Millions of fentanyl pounds coming across. There's never been a plan. There was no plan to house any of the kids. We had kids in cages again, but we didn't say that because it's a Democrat. We didn't say that it started with Biden-Obama administration. No, we said it when it was Trump. 
And now they're fair because the left's gone so fucking rogue that they're going to lose the House at the minimum. Without media accountability, Republicans will govern like a one-party state. Right now, the Democrats are in charge of fucking everything, including the judicial branch, which they're not supposed to be. And use the DOJ as a private police force. And you write that fucking article. NPR reporter upset by Republicans shunning mainstream press for liberal and calling them liberal press. Well, you are. Will Republicans shut out the press in 2024? Vanity Fair. Politico is the only one that's carried this. 800 Americans evacuated from Afghanistan since Taliban takeover. But they were all out, he said. Is Jane's revenge for real? The right's new boogeyman. A mysterious pro-abortion rights group is claiming credit for acts of vandalism around the country. And right-wing activists and politicians are eating it up. Republican pounce for people who fucking almost assassinated a Supreme Court justice. They have become such a one-party state. Science America. Science for social justice. That's a fucking thing. That's a fucking thing. It's almost like we're playing a baseball game and the other team doesn't have bats and gloves. And that team is normals. Regular people. We don't have gloves. We don't have bats. But we got to still play the game. And the game we've set up is called democracy, where you get to go vote. But as you saw from the Liz Cheney, what does this mean for a vo- democracy? That Liz Cheney, who's a Democrat trying to play a Republican, literally, or a Republican trying to play Democrat, got voted out because her people said, I'm sick of you. I don't like what Washington's doing. Inflation and gas aren't the priorities. Pet project. Paying money back to my donors is the most important shit. And nowhere is it more scary for parents than in this trans shit. These videos are not my usual videos. These videos will scare you. Turn it up. It's time for a pride parade. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. Families marching one by one, hurrah, hurrah. This family has two mommies. They love each other so proudly. And they all go marching in the big parade. 
child will often know that they are transgender from the moment that they have any ability to express themselves, and parents will often tell us this. We have parents who tell us that their kids, they knew from the minute they were born practically, and actions like refusing to get a haircut or standing to urinate, trying to stand to urinate, refusing to stand to urinate, trying on siblings' clothing, uh, playing with the quote opposite gender toys, things like that. There is more and more a group of adolescents that we are seeing that really are coming to the realization that they might be trans or gender diverse a little bit later on in their life. So what we're seeing from them is that they always sort of knew something was maybe off and didn't have the understanding to know that they might be trans or have a different gender identity than the one they had been assigned. So that is a, a growing population that, they are, that we are seeing and that's being recognized as being trans and able to be treated. Gender-affirming hysterectomy is very similar to most hysterectomies that occur. A hysterectomy itself is the removal of the uterus, the cervix, which is the opening of the uterus, and the fallopian tubes, which are attached to the sides of the uterus. Some gender-affirming hysterectomies will also include the removal of the ovaries, but that's technically a separate procedure called a bilateral oophorectomy. And not every gender-affirming hysterectomy includes that, and people who are getting gender-affirming hysterectomies do not have to have their ovaries removed. When I think about my abortion, it saved my life. Kazembe Jackson is a trans man. I found out I was pregnant my junior year in college. I'm sure I and another person that came from that pregnancy would have been two very unhappy people or I would have committed suicide. Trans advocates and community members like Kazembe say trans and non-binary individuals are left out of abortion discourse. So nobody's saying not to include women, but I think what we are saying is there are other people other than women who need access to abortion too. How long has this policy been in place, do you know? So it was ratified on April 25th, although the district in its communications to parents said that this has been in effect for five years and they were merely ratifying it, which was of news to parents in the district because the problems that happened after the policy was passed, including boys going to the girls' restrooms, take, trying to take pictures and stuff, um, had not been occurring until then, until then. There were girls at the end of the school year from when this policy passed until when kids got out, um, where girls just refused to go to the bathroom, they refused to change for gym class because they were so nervous and uncomfortable. Those things had not been happening before and so the fact that the district says it had been in place is deeply questionable those are kids they're talking about those are supposedly medical professionals that's some scary ass shit and then in the media lately it's just non-stop this shit transgender student rejected from every sort of university of alabama filing suit Andrew Sullivan, I wonder how many people who oppose child sex changes also oppose circumcision. Similar principle of the body integrity of a child, especially their sex organs. Are you fucking shitting me? A good portion of children do know as early as from the womb that they are transgender. At Boston Children's Hospital, we see a variety of young children all the way down to two and three. No, they don't. But on this issue, just like abortion, 
The left is a sick fucking cult. Two people having sex together. Mom always says love can neither be created nor destroyed. But I've had my heart broken. You see, I'm not someone who is destined to find love, so when it appears in my path, I have to take it. Do you even get crushes? Not really. I feel like I was born with a crush. I was like in the nursery crushing on a fetus. You want to know if he's really yours? You look him in the eye and you say, Do you find me beautiful? As a dad and a husband, that just can't happen. I think you're wonderful, and that's it. Okay, there you have it. I was having an affair with a married man, and I know that makes me sound like I have no morals or scruples. I give my soul and body to this man, and then just in an instant. So sorry, baby, I'm so sorry. No. Please, baby. Sarah Joe, could you please go? Please. I'm trying to understand how this could have happened to me. Am I bad at sex? Uh, I don't know how to tell you. You don't have to, like, blow. I must execute a plan. Nobody will ever have the chance to do this to me again. I have to be brave. You're a joke. How do you get over them so quickly? There's literally a million of them. Not everyone is perfect. Least of all me. And in fact, much in the same way, Rev, there was a Gallup poll back, I think it was the fall of 2020, showing the black community has slowly become more accepting of abortion over the past couple of decades. But there are deeply held religious beliefs playing into this, especially with older black voters who are incredibly reliable and incredibly important to Democrats. So how should Democrats be thinking about this? Because obviously they want and need to hold on to those voters. I think that they must message it in a way that it is about choice. It's not about saying I'm voting that I support abortion or not. It's about I support people having the right to choose. Because we're not talking particularly in the black community, and, and I would say a uh, large portion of the Latino community, you're not talking about whether or not people are going to be able to have an abortion. You're talking about whether they're going to have a safe abortion. We always had abortions, but we had these back alley, very risky abortions. And we're saying that rather than have people in those situations, they should be able to choose whether or not they want to do, even if it's something that I don't believe in. The Bible, if you're using this as a religious argument, the Bible is about choice. You can go to heaven or hell. There's no way in the Bible said you had to go to heaven. So where do we get this theology of forcing something when the reality is that you can't even biblically base that? It's a question of choice. If you are a menace as I am, you can... A bill that would ban abortion at all stages of pregnancy with exceptions is one step closer to law in Indiana.
The version that passed in the Senate provides exceptions for rape, incest, and for when the life of the pregnant person is at risk. As of now, the House bill maintained those exceptions. A final House vote is expected to happen today before the bill goes back to the Senate to approve or deny any changes. Earlier, I spoke to Indianapolis OBGYN Dr. Caitlin Bernard. She is the doctor who provided a medication-induced abortion to a 10-year-old rape victim from Ohio. Obviously, you're watching this bill in Indiana move to the full house where it is relying on exceptions, including for rape, exceptions for the life of the mother as well. You've treated many patients who would fall into these categories. What to you is the problem with relying on those exceptions? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You know, medicine is not about exceptions. I can't even begin to tell you how many patients I see in very unique situations uh, that can't fit into those exceptions, that can't have a list of what I can and can't do. How often do you see patients who are, are, would fit under these umbrellas for rape or for incest or for their health or their life being in danger? Is this, is this pretty regular? Absolutely. Every day I get a consultation for a patient who has, you know, a, a condition that fits into those exceptions. Politicians have absolutely no space in making medical decisions or in instructing people how to, you know, make those medical decisions. And um, Kansas, you know, showed that. And we know that that's also true here in Indiana. Let's talk about um, cases where where somebody isn't necessarily seeking an abortion, but women have medical issues during pregnancies. Uh, and, and you're worried that, that women who might be having a miscarriage are worried that they're gonna, they're gonna fall into this legal system some, somehow. Absolutely. How does that play out? I fully see the Alabama legislature and other state legislatures going towards the criminalization of miscarriage in general. Because if you can't prove that you didn't take mifeprestone or misoprostol, the abortion drugs, then how, I mean, there's no way for them to, to prove your innocence because there's no test that can tell anyone if you took it or not. So every miscarriage is gonna be invest investigated. People in official state government positions making those calls for people they've never met, have no interaction with, and also have no training to make those calls about. Abortion is healthcare. You can believe the earth is flat does not make it so. And so what we see now is on a government level, state by state, also the Supreme Court has decided that access to health care is not important and that the maternal mortality rate on the rise is fine. It's not fine. They don't think it's unimportant. They know who's going to be most affected and they're unconcerned. Right. right. So they're not concerned with black and brown people, queer and trans folks, disabled folks. They're like... They want to widen that that gap between the have and the have. That's some sick fucking shit, man. The abortions in the Bible and that fucking Lena Dunham shit. The first baby, baby, a shower for an abortion. Yeah, but we're worried about conservative one-party rule, so... Here's our This Is America. CBS literally had the gall to talk about migrants on air and my favorite hate soundtrack from the last 10 days. If we can't protect-
This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the worst soundbite. When the liberal media is pushing one of them agenda story and says, This is America. 2021. Tonight, there is a growing political battle between Texas and New York as Governor Greg Abbott continues to send thousands of migrants from the border to Manhattan and Washington, D.C. It's part of the Republican governor's effort to criticize the Biden administration's immigration policy. Here's CBS's Nancy Chen. As nearly 100 migrants arrived in New York City from Texas this morning, they stepped off buses and into a political firestorm. Johnny, a 38-year-old migrant from Venezuela, says he was tired and stressed during his trip, but came to the U.S. to provide a better future for his children. He's one of more than 6,500 asylum seekers already processed and released by DHS, sent by Texas Governor Greg Abbott to Washington, D.C., and now New York. The mayors of those cities calling the move inhumane as they both ask the federal government for help. There's nothing successful about treating people with this lack of dignity. We have a growing humanitarian crisis that we expect, that the federal government expects, is going to only worsen. More than 165 buses have left Texas since April, leading to scenes like this at Washington Union Station. Abbott says he's sending migrants away in part to protest President Biden's immigration policies. We're full in the state of Texas. Our communities are overrun. Critics call it a political stunt with families caught in the middle. Joanna left Venezuela with her children and is seeking asylum. She says everything we endured during the journey, the sadness, the pain, the fear and being here right now, I feel the sacrifice was worth it. But one lawyer helping migrants says not everyone wanted to end up in New York. Still, with more buses left. Students Ben Wiedemann is live in Boothville. Ben? Yeah, John, despite all of that, uh, even the critics of the prime minister here concede that over the last 12 years, some of his policies have managed to help improve the lot of many Hungarians. Yet despite that, of late, as the economy has begun to falter, Viktor Orban has resorted to rhetoric reminiscent of some of the darkest days in this country's history. The hard-right anti-immigrant prime minister recently set off alarm bells with a speech laced with sinister undertones. We Europeans, Orban said, are willing to mix with one another, but we do not want to become peoples of mixed race. He has since come out insisting he isn't racist or anti-Semitic. The damage, however, is done. Viktor Orban's talk about racial mixing, about racial purity, stir up dark, still fresh memories. These metal shoes commemorate the spot where, in the final months of World War II, Hungarian Nazis murdered thousands of Jews. Evening and city residents savor the soft breezes off the Danube. History flows through this city, the past never far from the surface. 
And, and with a possible recession on the horizon, the fear is the prime minister is looking for scapegoats, something this part of Europe has seen in the past. John? Ben Wiedemann, look at a liberal democracy in the echo sort of language. It's remarkable, Joe. You know, I'm old enough to remember a time in which the Republican Party uh, wrapped itself in the flag and uh, at least stood up for those values uh, that the flag represented in its own vision. Uh, you know, patriotism is not simply about waving a flag. It's actually about doing the right thing and the hard thing to defend the country, even when it means holding your own party accountable. And so this is really when we find out, you know, who the patriots are. And, you know, this behavior is treasonous. And on top of that, it's not just the principle of seeing the democracy denigrated that's so upsetting and deeply just stomach churning. It's also the fact that these Republicans and others are creating an environment of political violence. Yesterday, we already saw, you know, just an inkling of what's possible when somebody tried to breach the FBI field office in Ohio. And this is not the first time. Obviously, yesterday was also the, the anniversary of Charlottesville. So this is a very dangerous environment that they're creating. They are putting Americans at risk, not only FBI agents, but any American or anybody really who is seen as the target of the far